KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, com- community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. All right, y'all. Tonight on the show, it's a Roundtable Tuesday panel discussion with three nonprofits, or do-gooders, as I like to say, getting ready for the Food Truck Face-Off 2022 version. That's coming up July 16th at Liberty Park, and it will be Utah's largest food truck rally for charity. Now, while it's all good and fun, the event highlights the important work that 4th Street Clinic, Utah Community Action, and the Children's Center do in our community. And that's what we'll talk about in a minute. But later tonight, Radioactive co-host Emeritus Tamrika Kostishviashvili is back with a conversation with, her, with a friend of hers, Mila Tashiva. Mila was born and raised in Kiev, Ukraine in 1974. She uses photography, video, and text to describe the tension between individuals and collective identity, but most recently was back in her home country at the start of the war. But right now, let's get to rallies and resources with Radioactive Zone, Laura Jones. Hey, before we do that, how was your Juneteenth? Oh my gosh, it was it was busy. So much fun, but it was I need a I need a weekend from my weekend, Laura. <laughs> but it was it was a blast. You and went then, to Ogden? Went, we went to Ogden. I went to after parties. I was I was I was a man about the town. You were in the spirit of oh, yeah. the holiday, right? Yeah, I think uh, I think I've r- ridden this weekend probably like 30, 30, 40 miles just mm. going around town. Well, you know, yeah. got to be safe. Got to be true. safe because I was consuming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, we did psychedelics last night uh, on the show. Oh, I, lo- oh I, missed, I missed it. I thought it was over the weekend. <laughs> oh, okay. So there's still a couple of Juneteenth events coming up yeah, I do right. want to remind people about. So Monday the 27th. It is the Juneteenth Black Women's Mural Project unveiling with Better Days Utah and Sema, Sema, Sami Hadithi. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. You have a show, Robert Birch. Yep, I saw, I saw them up there, too. Yeah. It was funny. They, they were like, you look you look familiar. <laughs> I was like, well, you were on the show recently, so there's that. <laughs> and then on the 30th, the Juneteenth Beloved Community Vigil at the International Peace Gardens here on Salt Lake City's west side at 6 p.m. Check rallies and resources at krcl.org for a link to that and other items. In fact, going on as we speak, the Park City Latino Arts Festival is underway all week long at various locations throughout Park City. Do check that out. The Utah Arts Festival coming up this weekend at Library Square. Busker Fest, the it's, 24th it's, and It's 25th. live. It's all, events Ooh. are back, Laura. Ooh, I'm exhausted. Oh, yeah. So. I can't wait. I'm excited for Busker mm-hmm. Fest. In the meantime, the CDC approved uh, COVID uh, vaccinations for kids. Yep, that's it. Check it's... your local health department. If you're interested in all that information, you can get a link in Rallies and Resources as well. Let's get right to our special guests. All right. Because we got a big conversation with Tamrika coming up. But in studio with us right now from 4th Street Clinic is uh, my friend Laurel Ingham. How you doing? I'm good. It's so good to see you in person. What is up, I lady? Welcome, welcome. the last welcome, time we were, like, the Zoom situation. Uh-huh. I feel like I just want to touch everybody now. Uh, yeah, understood. <laughs> Wait, you work understood. at a health clinic. You know, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you know, know the dangers. I know. I do know the dangers. <laughs> so we wanted you to set up yeah. the food truck face-off. It's Absolutely. coming up in mid-July, but we wanted to get this on folks' radar because you need folks to get their tickets ahead of time and all that jazz. Right. Sort or did you change of. it? So we we we've tried and changed it up. The okay. last two years of COVID, and then we made some you know life learnings. And okay. this year we're not doing a ticket to um, exchange for food at the food okay. trucks. That's how um, it used to work. It is how it used to work. However, this year um, it's a free event to come in. Um, there'll be twenty five different food vendors. Twenty five. Twenty five plus. I know. Like, what kind of food do you want? You know, do you want ice cream, Jamaican food, Mexican food? Laura. I mean, pizza. Uh-huh. I mean. Uh-huh. Come on, it's gonna be amazing. I don't think I'm gonna eat that week just think, to get yeah, my belly right. You gotta right? train, I gotta, yeah, for the start training. Face, huh? Start training now. Mm-hmm. So, um, each of those vendors will then have um, like a three dollar surplus to each of their meals that will then be split with the charity. So instead okay. of trying to exchange tickets, um, which got a little complicated, mm-hmm. but yeah. we do have also this year because um, that was our competition between the charities, right? Because uh-huh. yeah, we always yeah. like a friendly competition. This year we are. Um, Traeger has generously donated three Traegers to us. So each of the charities. Grills. We're okay, we're, we're talking going grills. We're talking grills. Shelf. Yep. So you can buy an opportunity drawing ticket, um, and 
fill out your information and put it in your favorite charity. Of course, it'll be Fourth Street Clinic. Um, and then each one of them. <laughs> it's a the bump on. Uh, oh, yeah. I know, right? Um, each one of those charities, each one of the charities will be able to give away um, a Traeger from those votes on those opportunity wow. drawings. So, what an opportunity. Yeah, so there'll be $5 a piece, and you can come and vote for your favorite charity, which, right. of course, will be Forestry Clinic. Absolutely. So different ways to support these nonprofits. You get to chow down for charity. Liberty Park on July 16th from 4 to 10, there'll be music. I think there's even a beer garden. There's a, And actually, this year, we have we have Epic uh, Brewery and Uinta. So we have two oh, different beers right. happening. Um, I mean, right? Like. 30 25 food trucks beer music it's a party it's 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 gonna be amazing and the biggest part here sean of course is that it supports these three nonprofits dedicated to serving vulnerable utahns so what year is this i mean and give us you know with the covid (laughs) so we it's technically the eighth year so um Utah Community Action was the entity that really started it. And then we've kind of had different partners throughout the last um, eight years. Two years in COVID was not really mm-hmm. great for us. We did a passport last year. It, it was great. but um, And Discover has been a great partner with us all the way along. And they're the partner again this year. But it's nice to be back in person. Absolutely. You can't really do food trucks without being in person. It doesn't hit the same. And and just an event like this, you want it. It's you want people. You need people. It yeah. starts the energy really, and they get to learn about the organization from the organization. And yeah. not not that not that reading the website is different, but it's when you hear it from somebody and you get to see and feel the passion, it just hits differently. Yeah. yeah. We're so excited. We're excited to be there. The partners are the partners this year are Forestry Clinic, obviously Utah Community Action, and then this year our newest partner is the Children's Center of Utah. So we're excited to have them on to be a partner with us. I think every one of those organizations are doing incredible work and we all work with each other. And I think the wonderful thing for this event is that we get to showcase to the community what we do for the community Mm -hmm. and that we work well with each other. I think sometimes people think, you know, well, that nonprofit doesn't work with that nonprofit. And the truth of the matter is, is we're all working with really incredibly vulnerable populations and we have to work together. We have to make it work for our patients, our clients, um, our patrons, however that works out for people all right we're going to take a brief break get some panelists in from our nonprofits because folks we want you to understand what they do in the community because it's a social safety net that nonprofits create and they need your help they need your volunteer time but they also need you to understand what they do so we're going to learn all about that but what's the website where folks can get more details on the food truck face-off because i believe there's a website actually with that name i know there is and i you should have prepped me for this laura i think it's <laughs> i think it's food truck face off 2022 2022.org yeah it, it changes yeah. so yeah there we go um, it's food truck face off slc slc dot org, dot org. yeah and you could go to any of the other mm-hmm. social media facebook instagram pages and find that as well okay. and find the information from each of those um, nonprofits. but i'm going to scoot out of here yeah we'll scoot in the people that can really tell you about the Wonderful. organizations and give you all of the impact numbers and all of that thanks laura thank you and while we do that we've got a couple messages for you because during radio active we really try and plug you into the community here you go outdoor afro celebrates and inspires black connections and leadership in nature now with chapter in Salt Lake City and Park City. More details at OutdoorAfro.com. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and their Love's Diversity Initiative. Mark Miller Subaru is a proud community partner of Project Rainbow, spreading love together this Utah Pride Month. Learn more at ProjectRainbowUtah.org or MarkMillerSubaru.com. Are your jet skiing days in the past? Do you have a boat that won't float? A scooter that quit scooting? How about a car or truck that just won't go? Our friends over at Cars, Inc. can turn your unwanted modes of transportation into a tax-deductible donation. No fees, no hassle, and you get to help power your community radio station. Visit the support tab at krcl.org for details on donating. And welcome back to Radioactive. I wasn't paying attention oh, there, right. we're, hey, we're trying to fly through. So just so everybody knows, welcome to Radioactive's Roundtable Tuesday edition. Coming up, Democracy Now! at 7 with Amy Goodman. Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8. And unfortunately, this is Barbie's last show tonight. Barbie's so I implore you, please tune in. It's going to be a good one. Not that any other ones aren't good, but this one's going to be special uh, Connor's Late Night Lowdown starts at 10.30, Super Sounds with Chovy at 1 a.m., and to wrap it up, John Florence starts a brand new day at 6 a.m. But let's get to the let's get to what we got going on. We have some uh, do-gooders 
in here, and I want to I want to bring it because we got a lot of notes going on. So we have. Where where'd I put it, Laura? You got too much. Oh, you got it. All right. So we have Janice Olson, uh, COO of Fourth Street Clinic. We have Janelle Serva, Chief Im- Impact and Strategi- Strategy Officer, Utah Community Action, and Mary Burchett, the Children's Center of Utah. Welcome, welcome, ladies. All right. So we're we got a we got a food truck rally. We got a like what is it? What is, what's going on? We got. Food trucks going on on July 16th. So one, how did that idea even start? Like, because I'm I'm a I'm greedy. I'm greedy, and I think that idea is fantastic. I love the partnership between the organizations, but I, but I really like what what drove this. Well, this started about eight years ago, and we wanted a friendly competition between our different nonprofits. So at that time, we've been doing it. Utah Community Action has been doing this with Fourth Street Clinic that entire time. And then because of all the challenges with COVID and staffing, some of the other nonprofits weren't able to join us this year. So we were thrilled to bring in the Children's Children's Center Utah. Uh, But we've been doing it. We just thought it'd be fun. We all work together in the community all the time. And can we come together to raise money in a way that you know, spreads awareness about our programs, you know, brings some joy to the community and gives us the opportunity to have some fun with our partners. I love it. And that, that was Janelle. So Janelle, while you, while you have the mic, why don't you talk us about the Utah Community Action? What, what are you guys about? Utah Community Action is about meeting the needs of the community. So we seek to do that through building communities, strengthening individuals and increasing opportunities for education and ultimately self-reliance for all of our community members. So we largely target prevention, poverty, and poverty prevention programs. Uh, We do that through our Head Start, which so we serve, we provide free preschool with wraparound services, social emotional support, nutritional, um, health and dental supports for children three three and four uh, so that they enter kindergarten ready to learn and try to help them um, address their trauma and, and get ready to enter school and have success. I love it. Uh, that's, I, I mean, the work that you all do, especially when it comes to Head Start, I think it's it's just paramount. You know, you really get the youngins get get them out there on the on the proper proper start. But I want to I want to bring you into the conversation, Janice, because I know you might be the the newest member of the Fourth Street Clinic. So congratulations. Thank you. So what is, what's what's the Fourth Street what is the Fourth Street Clinic and who do you ser- who do you serve? So Fourth Street Clinic. Uh, provides medical services to Utahns who are experiencing homelessness. Um, so it's our mission to make sure that everybody who's experiencing homelessness in Utah has access to medical care. Are you? Are, are we listening to what's going on out here? When I say do-gooder, I'm, I'm not just being flippant, y'all. And last but definitely not least, we have Mary Burchett with the Children's Center of Utah. So, Mary, I'm going to be honest. I like I was reading the bio, and I did not know an organization this fantastic that really focuses on children was out there. So, so what's going on? Like, what what is the goal for yours? Yeah. So, the Children's Center Utah, um, we provide comprehensive mental health care to infants, um, toddlers, preschoolers, and their families. So, we focus on that really specific, really young age, and we provide outpatient therapy services. We provide um, consultation to other daycare providers, and um, we're uh, our mission is just to to yeah to provide that um, that um, support to to these children and their families at, at a really early age so that we can change the trajectory of their lives. I, I want to stay with you, Mary, because I, I was I had your uh, I don't want to call it a brochure, but I had your document with information in it. Some of the numbers were I'm just going to put it out there for all the parents listening. It was staggering to hear, and I'm going to read one of them. So it says, uh, between March and October, when COVID first kicked off, so we're talking about uh, 2020, emergency visits rose by 24% in the 5 to 11 and 31% in 12 to 17-year-olds. I'm like, is So when I hear kids this age, I mean, because they're children, you know, is, is this stress? You know, what, is, what is leading to this? When, what is the study saying? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, these kids are needing this support at, like I said, at, at 
what we're talking about such an early age and um you know the pandemic did certainly um did not provide the opportunities for them to be with their classmates to be in a in a setting um that really provided them um the ability to flourish and so um yeah the the studies on on um you know those emergency room visits related to suicide and suicide suicidality are just yeah like you said it's pretty staggering all right. All right. I want to bring the conversation over to you, Janice. So how does the summer change your program? You know, when, when you have, when there's, I want to say more people, like it feels like out and about than you would normally see, you know, does that, does the numbers just go, just go through the roof? Well, I think we've seen an uptick in people who are experiencing unsheltered homelessness in our community in the last couple of years. Um, and we have a street medicine program uh, that does outreach to encampments in our community and really tries to connect individuals and families with medical services, though they might be sleeping outside and experiencing some uh, very difficult barriers. So we go out and we connect with uh, patients who are sleeping outside and who need to come into clinic for you know, various services. And so that, that street outreach program uh, happens several times a week. Oh wow, that that often. Mm -hmm. So for our listeners, if if does it do you have to have a certain degree, or if you wanted to get involved, what does that look like? Um, well, a, a provider and a community health worker typically go out and to provide medical services, but um, you can go to our website to find out about what volunteer opportunities are available uh, at the clinic. All right, perfect. All right, I don't want to forget about you, Janelle. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it over. So I was on I was on the website and it talked about fighting poverty at its root cause. So what does that look like from a boots on the ground perspective? Because we have I mean while we have three four I don't want to leave you out four do gooders in the in the room here. You know I I I think I think our community is really strong and they like to lend a hand. So what is from a boots on the ground perspective? What does that look like? Uh, for community members. I mean, we use volunteers uh, all the time. We, we encourage volunteers to read with our children. Um, and COVID has definitely impacted that, right? We can't have some of our kids in our classrooms, let alone um, additional volunteers. But uh, we also do meals. Volunteers can help with those. We do, you know, holiday events where we do, you know, Thanksgiving dinners and um, Operation Chimney Drop, a Sub for Santa program. So we have all kinds of opportunities for people to get involved. Um, and we also encourage the, the families of the parents that we served to get involved in their classroom and in, and in their child's education. So I think there's there's so many great opportunities in this community if you if you want to help and support individuals in need. So I see from your website, it's you have six arms of there's six arms of the organization, if you will, adult education, case management, housing, Head Start, preschool, heat, utility assistance, nutrition and weatherization. So was that always the case? Because I mean, that is you're you are covering that's in the end as far as I'm concerned. It's did it always start out with with such I don't want to call it aggressive because I don't feel like that's the right word when we're talking about taking care of people. But was it what is always like this or did it start out with one and just you wanted to fill the need? Well, we've definitely grown through the years. We've we've been around for about 60 years in the community. Um, but as we see additional needs, uh, we we try to meet them. So you know, like our, our weatherization program in the heat, you'll see additional people, you know, as our, our summers are getting hotter and hotter and individuals that are struggling, it's not often healthy for them to be in their homes. We can go in, we can put in air conditioning, air conditioners, we can put in furnaces in the wintertime. We can make sure the air quality of their home um, is, is high quality so that they're not getting respiratory diseases. We, I mean, again, as we're treating children and we see that their families need support, then we think, what can we do um, to help their parents get educated so that they can provide more stability? Or how can we get them into housing um, or case manage them through that process so that they can be stabilized and support the child? So it really just sort of, I mean, we try to, you know, you don't want to have mission creep. You don't want to do too much. But where they see, where we see the need, especially for the children we serve is that is our largest program then we try to step in and we try to partner i mean we partner very closely with we we do homeless diversion in the shelters we have some of our kids in our head start program every day that we then bus over to the children's center mm -hmm. to get mental health supports so we all we all work together to meet the needs of of the families that we serve 
So I, this question is for all three of you because I think Laurel Laurel touched on it earlier, and I think there's a misconception of how how our nonprofits work. You you have this assumption that everyone's fighting for dollars, and so you can't you can't conjoin and work together. But here, I mean, you three ladies are really you know contradicting that theory. So so what's going on? Well, I'll, I'll go <laughs> get ahead it. And start. Get it. <laughs> Um, I think our partnerships are one of the most important aspects of our service delivery in the community. Um, just as an example, uh, when we started this new homeless service system in Salt Lake County and we went from one location to now three or four, um, Forest Street Clinic decided to provide a mobile medical service for, for those locations and every week goes out with a mobile bus and provides health care to the uh, homeless resource centers. So we're always working in partnership to try and provide the best, most comprehensive service for people who are experiencing those barriers. So as we, you know, what, school ended three weeks ago, maybe, you know, and I know that you know, kids eating is, is a huge priority, obviously. So what are we doing about meals when we have, you know, parents working, kids, kids are home left to their own devices, but they still need to eat. And sometimes there's, you know, we already have like a, I don't want to call it a food sh shortage, but there's definitely some issues with getting, getting kids the proper food and, and, you know, health care that they need. What are we doing to address that? So Utah Community Action this year, um, and we've done this for other years, but we, pr we do summer meal programs. So we provide free dinners for any children age zero through age 18. Um, and then, and it's a hot, healthy meal that we prepare fresh that day and deliver to five different sites across Salt Lake County. Um, and there's no eligibility. They can show up and they get a meal. They don't have to qualify um, in any way. And then, uh, yeah, if they want to have a family meal, which we do encourage, then their parents can come for, for $4. So we try to target some of the communities that are, that are hardest hit, that struggle the most with poverty, because a lot of those kids are getting free and reduced price lunch at school. Um, and so when school's out, they just don't have access to to, to food and certainly not to healthy food. So we try to make sure that we can meet those needs by providing, you know, hot, healthy, fresh meals each day. Mary, I want to, since we're talking about our kids, I, I want to go to you. How how are they doing in, in light of another school shooting? You know, when, are, are you are you hearing some of that feedback when from them as, as we, you know, I, I was talking to Laura and, you know, I'm seeing on, on people offering like, bulletproof backpacks for children what i think is absolutely absurd and anybody listening i i'll say that again i think it's absurd that that is one of the solutions that are being talked about but how are kids doing with this yeah i mean as we talked about earlier i think that um you know kids are really struggling and um, across the board for a variety of reasons and our trained clinicians at the Children's Center are really equipped to handle all these types of issues. And, and it's different for every child, right, and every family situation. And so our clinicians can say, you know, what works best for one family might not work best for, for another, and they can really provide that kind of specific treatment and, and a plan that will work. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, they're, they're not doing that well. And we're so grateful, um, you know, to be a part of the community and be a part of these other wonderful organizations who are doing so much to make sure that they're, um, you know, that they have the resources, that they have the opportunity to, um, to work to um, better their mental health. We often forget that infants have mental health mm -hmm. um, and, and how important it is at to, again, to come in at such an early age and provide that, um, you know, transformation um, when they are so young. So it, it, it's, it's just so important. So what are, uh, as a nonprofit community organization, what's, what's some of the needs that you have? How can the community, how can the community help out? I mean, they can come to Food Truck Face Off on July 16th, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We're super excited to be a part of that. Um, just like uh, these other women said here, they uh, we have great opportunities to volunteer at the Children's Center Utah. Um, we have a therapeutic preschool um, that's basically outpatient therapy. Um, we've stayed open um, other than just three months of the pandemic, and so um, and and our programs don't close during the summer. It's it's year round, and so um, we need volunteers in the classrooms. We need volunteers to help wash our toys and keep the rooms sanitary, things like that. Um, and then. Um, 
um, just on a on a regular basis helping with um, you know with our fundraising events and and with all the uh, um, all the other administrative stuff that we have to do as well so we we love volunteers and um, are you know excited to welcome more and, and be involved in the food truck face-off and what's your social so our listeners can find you we're at Children's Center Utah on Facebook and Instagram and I think we're like children's CTR Utah at, on Twitter. <laughs> all right. And it'll all be posted on the show notes. All right, Janice. So what do you need from the community? What does the Forest Street Clinic need? Well, we have a group of fabulous uh, volunteers and donors that support us, and we obviously will continue in the future to need those generous donors and volunteers. Um, we also have wonderful, amazing staff, um, and you know we're really focused on recruitment at this time and retention of our fabulous staff um so yeah just just those things just our our volunteers our donors and our staff to keep providing the amazing services that they provide to the community and where could our listeners find you at um we do have instagram so four street clinic on instagram and i believe facebook as well all right perfect and last but not least janelle what 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 can the community how can the community help what's the call to action Oh, I definitely second what else, you know, what else has been said here. Come to the event. We're excited to see you. It's fun. It's important. It's meaningful to, to be part of the community, right, and to just be with, with each other. So I think that that's really important. We are always hiring for, uh, especially for Head Start teachers and housing case managers. Uh, that's our biggest need right now. So if you know anyone who's looking, we would love to hire. And I think more important than that, you know, where we serve individuals experiencing poverty, uh, there's a lot of trauma associated with that. And just remembering that our community, like we, our community is everyone together. And, you know, and that's kind of idealistic or maybe a generic kind of thing. But I think it means a lot in terms of how we treat people and including everyone in, in our society and in our community as, as equals and as people that have something to offer. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. Website. Oh, great call, Laura. At utahcommunityaction.com. Yeah, because the, the lunch, I mean, the, the food, the meal a day, um, that info, we'll put it in the show notes for Sean and also all the info from our, our uh, nonprofit partners tonight. Great conversation. Food truck face-off coming up July 16th. Uh, I know. It, well, it's so it's so important, Laura. These conversations are important. But, you know, knowing knowing how to find these groups and how to really give some of your time to help out, you know, someone who's not as fortunate as us. It's huge. And if you need the services you've heard described today, those resources available to you mm -hmm. because there are nonprofits in our community that get support from folks. So uh, complete that circle in That's your community. Right. Plug on in. We're going to dive right into this conversation that Tamrika sent us with a friend of hers, Mila Tasheva, Ukrainian, Berlin-based photographer and storyteller. And reflecting on the war in Ukraine, she went back to her home country at the start and uh, also got to see it with another uh, journalist that she mentions here right off the top in this conversation. Here we go. I was, I was in Kiev with um, Masha Gessen. I don't know if you, uh, if you read her. I mean, absolutely amazing writer, amazing person, very interesting. Um, and uh, she actually uh, was giving interview to some Russian, whatever, the radio TV. And she said that Kiev at the moment is the best place to be in the whole world. So tell me why. Tell me why it's the best place. Well, давай скажу по русски. Там, знаешь, такая трогательная хрупкость. Вот хрупкость, хрупкость бытия от того, что люди вернулись. Но они, они не знают, что, что будет завтра. Они, они не знают, то есть Киев снова будут бомбить. И от, очень много любви, очень много теплоты и мягкости какой-то, знаешь, вот мягкость в воздухе просто. Это прекрасно. Это I love that. I love that. Tell me, um, so I have to, I'm, I'm sorry I'm asking you in English, Mila. It's because... No, no, no. But you can answer in Russian anytime you want to because I can translate it. Um, but but have I, you started already our interview? Or yeah, sure. 
Sure, yeah. we can mix it, yes. <laughs> because what I will do is I will edit, you know? So we'll, we'll see what comes out of it. Um, can you tell me, like, did you, so you just, like you just said, it felt soft and gentle and um, delicate maybe, delicate maybe, that's a word. Did you feel that way? It's more like vulnerability. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I I really feel the same, you know, that it's one of most most special places to be uh, because human being is so vulnerable there. You know, the um, it's kind of it's a place with without plans. You know, without any certain plans, how you build your life, whatever. 20 years ahead, how you would ever buy your insurances or buy your mortgages. It's, uh, but it's um, happiness from being in Kiev that gives space that it's not destroyed, it's not bombed, it's happiness from seeing people who are coming back from small restaurants, coffee shops opening. And it's, um, I don't know, it's incredibly, incredibly important, I think, for human to have this uh, experience and feelings, you know, and, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's very difficult to explain, but I somehow have a feeling, you know what I mean. <laughs> I think I yeah? do, I think I do know what you mean. Do you think because of that feeling, like it's actually a hopeful place? I mean, I, like, I can only know what I read on the news, you know, and even if I mix my news input, you know, like I read news not only from the United States, it's still pretty bleak. Yeah, like, but do you have like hopeful, I mean, in, in a very practical way, like, are you hopeful? Like, do you think the war will end soon? Like, what, what are your like practical thoughts about the place? Or about the war? You know, it's, um, I mean, it's a very complex question because it's, um, I feel it's a difference between, between war and about being, being hopeful, you know. What I experienced for last uh, three months in Ukraine is absolutely unbelievable power of people. And uh, it was so shocking and it was so kind of overwhelming, you know, how uh, people, how strong people could be, how, how dedicated they could be, how un unbreakable they could be. And uh, it's still going on. And it's not only about those who, whatever engineers, uh, film producers, um, whatever museum workers who are actually fighting at the moment, uh, or lawyers, you know, like a um, friend of mine who is a famous lawyer in Kiev who has a, a, his own company, a very successful company, he went, uh, he took a gun, he went to front, he was uh, very heavily wounded, uh, he lost eye, uh, why he was doing it, he could stay in Kiev and run his business, you know, or whatever, you know, hide somewhere. But it's, it's also about power of people when I'm, when I'm going to outskirts of Kyiv to Kyiv region. And when I see this complete disaster, you know, a disaster of unbelievable scale, which actually only one month of, 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 of occupation left, it's like, it's really, it's a landscape of death, you know? And it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, I couldn't imagine, I could see it in my life as it, it might be so much horror, you know, that one month of occupation could bring to 
some small places, small villages, a small town. But when you speak with people, uh, when you see whatever in a small town, Borodyanka head of communal service who is actually responsible for water heating and whatever kindergarten. And uh, for one month, every day he's digging bodies out of gardens, of mass graves. He's um, kind of, he's almost doing it by himself because there is no enough people. Every day he's bringing this body, the bodies to the morgue. Every day he's bringing them from morgue to a cemetery. And he's just doing it. He's not complaining, you know. He's just doing it's a situation and everyone is just kind of doing whatever they can in the situation and when you come to a woman whose um, husband was killed and brother was killed and she found them in the uh, in the garden like their bodies when she came back in the beginning of april and her life is completely broken completely destroyed but um, she's planting flowers, you know, around the house and she's hugging you and offering you coffee, you know, and uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, and this makes me very much hopeful. I just, I feel it's uh, so much strength in the country. It's so much, much strength in people. You just can't do anything. <laughs> you, you know, you can't, you can't kill it. You can't kill this freedom. You can't, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, I experienced this a little bit in Palestine with people in Palestine, you know? Um, I spent a year living there. And I mean, people in Palestine have been, um, God, they've been like, their spirits have been pushed and pushed and pushed, you know? Did you, so it sounds like then that you're really hopeful um, and hope is so important to keep the people like going and alive, but um, like it hasn't stopped the war. You know what I mean? Like it hasn't stopped Putin. No. Like it hasn't stopped. And like, I know you don't know because I don't know. Nobody really knows what the hell is gonna happen. I'm just like curious what people think. Cause I like being where I'm from, you know, like being Georgian and Russian and just knowing the region. And when it was happening, when Putin had his military around, everybody was asking me and like, I don't know, you know but people love to ask questions like I'm doing to you now. And, and, I, and I kept saying, there's no way, there is no way Russia is like gonna go in Ukraine and like, all the way in and like take over. Like I was so like against that it was gonna happen. Do you know what I mean? Like I had this like idea that there's just yeah. no way. I, Me too. I also I was, was so naive. Saying. I was so naive. Yeah. I really didn't think so. I just thought he was just trying to show like his muscle to Europeans and to Americans, you know, because he was pissed. Um, so I don't know, I'm just, confused you know I mean I'm not super confused because it like a little bit happened in Georgia as you know I mean not not like it is happening in Ukraine so I shouldn't be confused but I am still confused and I just wonder like are you confused like do you see way out I mean because I don't really know how to answer people when they ask me questions you know well Dominica I think that the problem is that we don't, I mean, probably, I mean, probably many people in Ukraine already understand it, but world, I mean, Europe and whole world, they're still not realizing actually what, what is happening because uh, I think it's really, it's a, it's a catastrophe of, uh, of the scale of the Second World War. I mean, it's absolutely, absolutely unbelievable cruelty 
it's absolutely unbelievable, un unimaginable invasion, you know, which is going on. And I think because we can't believe that it might happen. We can't believe that something similar to the Second World War might happen now nowadays. We're still not fully realizing actually what's going on. Uh, because I mean it's it's like hundred Ukrainian soldiers actually dying every day. Uh, and approximately maybe half of um, half of this number is dying civilian population you know from bombing from tortures from killing uh and it's a huge huge territory and um i don't know what what to tell you i mean what is clear is that ukraine doesn't have other choice but to fight you know, it's like, it's really no other choice. You, I mean, maybe, maybe it will be a lot of people dying, but there is no choice. And uh, this is uh, very, I mean, it's, it's incredible, overwhelming situation actually, um, but, uh, yeah, it is like it is. Do you think, um, like, do you ever foresee the relationship between Ukrainians and Russians being positive? Like, what do you think will happen with that? Like, what, what are your thoughts about that? It, it, it will not be positive in next hundred years, I think. I mean, Ukrainians will never forgive what's going on at the moment. It's, it's impossible to forgive, you know, it, it's, um, it's absolutely impossible to forgive this widespread support of this war. And um, it's absolutely impossible. I mean, I mean, like, uh, almost everyone has someone in Russia, it's either friends or relatives. Most common, it's like relatives, like part of family. Uh, we've been working with a sound guy. His father lives in Moscow and his father completely refuses to believe uh, what's going on, you know? And um, you, can't, you can't forgive it. I mean, how would you forgive that your father is not believing your words, what you see, what you experience? but believing something what he's told from TV. It means it's an unbelievable level of uh, disrespect. It's, a, it's almost a humiliation, you know? And uh, no, there will be no good relation. <laughs> there will be no relationship. Yeah, what, I mean, what is your hope? Like, what do you wish Russian people would do because as you know you know like I mean for Americans you know that I speak to they're always like well Russian people just need to unite and come out in big numbers um, and and you know do whatever it takes to stop their government because I grew up in Soviet Union and so did you and you understand this I mean, they, they could do this they get arrested maybe they need to do it more like what do you because Russians that I have a very complex family problems due to this war because my, you know, my Georgian side hates my Russian side. My Russian side hates my American side, which is my daughter and my husband. Um, my um, American, I mean, it's super. And my, my sister is married to a Ukrainian. So it's very complex, you know, just like what you said. The, the family is really mixed and nobody's um, talking and there's just a lot of like sadness, you know? So I'm curious, like, what do you think, what do you expect? Some Russian people that I've spoken to feel a lot of guilt, but they say they don't know what to do. Like what, if you were Russian, but like really not, like not as a 
Russian who lives in Berlin or Russian who lives in America, but like Russian living in Russia. What like what do you think people should do or can do? Like what what are your thoughts about that? Because you know, well, like you know, America, I'm, yeah, go ahead. I'm 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 incredibly grateful, of course, for all those who were going to the streets and uh, and protesting and uh, kind of who was not hiding uh, at home just you know writing somewhere on facebook or basically even not writing that they're against war i understand the risk i understand everything but i just i just don't understand in this immense huge country if it's really 20 percent or even 10 percent who are against this war who thinks this war is a crime and if they would all go to the streets there is no enough not enough police to arrest them it's simply not enough police you know uh, and they tried it didn't work and then whatever some left to georgia some left somewhere else you know some are, un, are, are unhappy at home and that's it you know and at the same time you know russian soldiers are killing people in ukraine you know people who did nothing nothing to them and, um, it, um, i mean it's it's incredibly painful and and i i'm um, i mean i i really think it's a collective responsibility you know and i think it's really collective responsibility which is which is lying on people at same like a collective responsibility for holocaust is lying on germans you know and you can't i mean when crime is happening you can't just uh, be silent you need to do something somehow what do you think is like how how do you feel about America's role? Because um, I mean I know you uh, I'm sure you know a lot about this, but you know on one hand, to to not help is criminal, and then to help is provoking Russia even more. Which I mean, I think America is Russia's I think America is Russia's biggest enemy. So Amer like people are afraid that Russia might even um, act more erotic if you know if us continue like helps even more it might create bigger problems for the rest of the world like what what do you think i mean i i realize ukraine needs help but like if we think in this bigger picture do you think it's a good idea bad idea what do you think well uh, look let's look at the history yeah it's a uh, 39 hitler is full of his ambitions plans and ideas about whatever a historical um historical justice about territories about what what world is needed he's taking part part of czechoslovakia and he's taking part of poland and um, what the world is doing, what is doing like um, America, the Britain, and uh, and the rest. They say, um, well, maybe he had some reasons, whatever, some historical reasons why he why he needed to do it. If we will not um, get in conflict with Hitler, uh, then it would not be a problem for us. What's happening? next <laughs> you know i think uh, this fear of provoking putin is actually complete you know putin is living in his own own imaginable world you know and he's publicity announcing america and western europe as an uh, as an enemy of russia you know uh, will uh, will they help Ukraine or will they 
not help Ukraine, they will not become friends of Putin. You know? If Ukraine, I mean, war with Ukraine is making Russia weaker, and I think it's a task. Uh, it's a task of the whole world, you know, to make this criminal government actually weaker until the point that people will um, maybe do something. If people in Russia, I mean, that maybe their life will be so unbearable that they finally somehow overthrew this government, you know, because if business, if business is going on as usual, I mean, who can guarantee that war will not come tomorrow to whatever, Poland, to Lithuania, to kind of other places? I mean, how crazy it might be to launch a full-scale war with attempt to take Kiev. I mean, can you imagine this, how crazy nonsense it can be? Why, why people think that uh, kind of that Putin will be satisfied with uh, whatever taking Ukraine? Yeah, I mean, there's so many different takes on this. Some, some people think that it's less about Ukraine, it's more about um, opposing Western dominance. Um, and Russia is just sick of West and, you know, US and Europe kind of, you know. Oh, uh, Russia is killing people in Ukraine. I mean, people who've been building houses, you know, taking mortgages and doing actually same things as people in Berlin uh, uh, or New York, or let's say anywhere else they're doing. They were uh, electing the presidents and parliament, growing their children. They didn't want anything from Russia. They were living their own life, you know, and suddenly Russian tanks and soldiers are coming and killing people. I mean, What's about who the hell gives a about Western dominance? And people can, you know, um, make their, their conclusions, of course, about everything, you know, and speak much about Western dominance, about the evil of capitalism, um, or whatever they want to talk. But the fact is fact Russian soldiers killing Ukrainian people. What for? Who gave them right to do so? And what do you think is the way, I mean, do you think the only way to stop it is if the whole world got more involved or if Russians somehow figured out how to get Putin out of power or both of those? Like, what do you think? Both of those, I guess. Both of those. I mean, I mean but, but I, it will not stop. You know, Ukrainians will not give up, uh, and and it's not about the, the territory. It's about that uh, in in places currently occupied by Russia, uh, there is no life. It's 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 like the complete death actually. You know, uh, when you come to Bucha and when you see what happened for one month of Russian occupation you uh, you understand what is happening now in in all this huge uh, territory which is now taken by russia you know when when people just you know for nothing for absolutely nothing no soldiers no warriors a man passing by bike pumps what for nothing whatever bad motive soldier or commander you know, but can you allow it with your people? Can you say it's okay? What will you do with all these refugees? Do you think when the war ends, people will come back, the refugees? What, what's your thought? Yes, yes, most of people will come back. I was, I was, I was meeting, I was meeting today with uh, one of my friends 
he actually was living for 15 years uh, in the United States. He's one of these IT, IT genius, you know, who whatever built several companies and he earned his first million when he was already 25. And he relocated to Kiev um, some years ago. Um, but now he's in Berlin. Basically, he can live absolutely everywhere uh, in the world. But he absolutely wants to come back. And he says that all his friends who are basically equally, let's say, wealthy, confident people who can build business uh, anywhere, they all want to go back. So maybe, maybe Ukraine has this beautiful future ahead with Ukraine. I'm very sure about it. Tell me, tell me a little bit about you and your, your plans and what, you, what you're doing, just so people can know a little bit what, who you are. Well, uh, as you know, uh, from, from the end of February and actually until, until the middle of uh, May, I was in Ukraine. And uh, I'm very grateful that I've been, that I had this chance to be in Ukraine and actually experience this history, you know, and seeing it. And uh, I can't say it was very easy, but uh, it's, it's a very special experience. Um, I was working actually every day. I was shooting photography and um, uh, in April, Marcus uh, came to Kiev and we were shooting documentary movie in Kiev region in Bucha, Irpen and Borodyanka with amazing protagonists. And we've been following actually, we've been following what is happening after, after this kind of disaster, you know. So we've been following how people begin their relatives out uh, out of the gardens how mass graves are discovered how uh, completely how system can't manage actually all what happened um, but also how people find small joys and small pleasures you know and small kind of light in small things uh, so in the moment we are editing the movie uh, we will make a shorter version for German TV and uh, then we start working on a longer version. Uh, in the meanwhile uh, in March I was uh, making some kind of diary um, with photographs and text and uh, uh, at the end of June I will um, I will open exhibition in a Berlin Museum. It will be it will be like kind of a big exhibition, like this 18, 18 days of diary. So that's what I'm busy at the moment. And very soon I want to go back to Kiev and be there again. And you're very welcome to join me. Maybe maybe um, maybe I can come meet you in Kiev. What do you say? Maybe I can come meet you in Kiev. Yes, yes. Maybe see you in Kiev. I have beautiful flat there. You will love it. Thank you for speaking with me. Do you want, before I, before I let you go, do you want to say anything else that, anything you want to say or add or any last words that you have? Yeah. You know, I don't really know like to say there's so many things which I would love to say. I mean, about, you know, it's a period when, um, when you have like one minute, you have happy tears and um, another minute is uh, tears of like, like immense sadness. Um, it's, a, it's a very, it's a very special, very emotional time. And um, I, 
think it's amazing um, how how people around the world are actually helping and supporting and feeling kind of together with Ukraine. Um, and I just wish that people kind of people don't forget that it's happening, you know, that it's still happening, and that it's uh, basically it, not basically it absolutely should not happen. Uh, I mean. It's, I, I, I actually, I kind of honestly, I still can't fully accept that it's happening, even after being there for three months and seeing all what I saw, um, I still kind of reject, you know, this is reality, I in vain, because it's really 2022, you know, Russian tanks rolling, uh, rolling into another country. Uh, it's, it's absolutely absurd. But, um, but I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful. And thank you for calling me. That's Mila Teshaeva in conversation with radioactive co-host Emerita Tamrika Katisiashvili. Oh, man, Laura. Woo. That was I, I love I love Tamrika's clips. That was just so so powerful, and it's just a reminder that the the work is not over. You know, you, you sometimes it feels feels really nice out there, but there's still a lot of work to be done, listeners. And but I but I know I got faith in us. I I got faith. Yeah, well, check tonight's show notes for a link to Mila's diary, first published on the internet platform decoder.org. Contains personal records of the first months of the war in words and images. And hopefully we can hear from her again as Tamrika keeps globetrotting. So that is our show. Rashawn, Food Truck Face Off coming up July 16th. Check tonight's show notes for links to all that. You ready for it? I'm ready. I'm ready. You know, they, you know, not so celebrity guests, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm offering my services, y'all. <laughs> Take care. Be well. Till the next time we meet on Radioactive, I'm Laura Jones. I'm Rashawn Leak. KRCL, Salt Lake City.